This was the moment I was waiting for. My fifth grade heart beating like crazy as I stepped off the elevator on the 108th floor. So I grew up two hours north of Chicago, and so it was always my dream to finally see the day where I could go to the top of the Sears Tower, now it's the Willis Tower, back then it was the Sears Tower, and look down on this glass platform that they had there. Now, if you're terrified of heights, this might sound strange for me to say, but you might want to plug your ears for just a couple minutes of this sermon, because this is, this is the dream for me. It was to stand on that glass platform to look down at 1,450 feet beneath and just to see what that looked like. So I step off the elevator, and the weirdest thing happened. Now, here I was, so excited about this, but every step I took closer to that platform, the more the heartbeat started increasing, and the more I felt unworthy and scared. Finally, I'm six inches away from stepping on it, and my 11-year-old energy completely short-circuited. I couldn't move. I was paralyzed. It didn't matter how many people stepped on and stepped off, stepped on and stepped off. I couldn't move. I wasn't going on that thing. No amount of logic, thinking to myself, okay, they wouldn't put that there. If somebody's going to fall through it, nope, not going to persuade me. No, finally, I turned tail and ran to the complete opposite side of that observation deck. No, what was it? You know, I wanted to experience that transcendency, if you will, of a skyscraper. But the more I approached, the more reproached I was. And as I was reading Luke 5 this week, it made me think about how that's kind of how our walk with God works sometimes too, right? You think about the transcendency of God, his holiness, his power, just how incredible he is. Have you ever found yourself trying to come near to him, trying to approach him, but the more you do, the more unworthy and maybe even scared you feel? Or maybe you found yourself asking the question lately, who am I, without thinking about the even grander question, who is God? I've heard it said that in our day and age, we live in an anthropocentric time. In other words, we focus so much on the humanity and not as much on the divinity. You've probably heard this said in a lot of different ways, that the idea of transcendency is kind of outdated. That if you give something enough time and use the scientific method, all these things that seem unexplainable will eventually have a root cause, eventually have an explanation. But you and I know that there's a transcendency that goes beyond understanding. It transcends understanding like the Apostle Paul wrote. And the amazing thing is, is that transcendency descended into your and my story. And for a fisherman named Simon Peter, that story is personal. So let's set the scene of the gospel today. So the noonday sun was hitting its peak. Simon's skin was turning pink. If you've struggled with being sunburned, you know how this feels. His hands are raw, and he is just bummed out. Now he's sitting there, his feet sinking into the sand. He's meticulously cleaning off his fishing nets from the night before. He had been out there for hours, all night long, hadn't caught a single fish. And for somebody in the fishing business, it doesn't get any worse. He was having one of those days. And so Simon is sitting there, and he's ruminating, internally stewing over a whole night lost because nothing was gained through it, when he sees this commotion. 
Instead of dwelling on how his fish finder didn't work and his troll motor didn't take him where he needed to go, okay, he didn't have those in first century AD, but you get the picture. Instead of focusing on how bummed out and exhausted he was, he hears a voice. And this voice goes above even the gentle wind that's going over the Sea of Galilee. It's a voice he'd come to know well. He sees Jesus and this whole crowd following him. And he still hadn't figured out who this Jesus guy was. Now, we heard last week that Jesus had taken away a fever that his mother-in-law was dealing with. And back then, if you had a fever, it could be a sign that you were dying. And so Jesus had literally saved Peter's mother-in-law's life which was awesome for Simon because he could get back on the boat. His house was taken care of. He had his mother-in-law to help out with things. But he couldn't get Jesus out of his head. Now, how is this carpenter able to rebuke a fever and it just goes away? How does that work? Is he some sort of doctor, a healer, a prophet? Simon couldn't quite put his finger on it. But as he's sitting there, cleaning the last stretch of net alongside his business partners, James and John, who too were probably a little bit upset they didn't catch anything the night before. He sees Jesus, and he sees this whole crowd following him, and even with a lake to his back, Simon feels claustrophobic. You can kind of picture this, right? And Jesus asks him a very simple question. Hey, Simon, I know things are getting crowded. Do you mind if I borrow one of your boats, and I can sit there and talk to the people from there? And Simon, seemingly without hesitation, says, yeah, go for it, Lord. And so Jesus has him row that boat out into the shallow waters, creating this natural amphitheater so everybody could hear the word of God that Jesus was preaching. And here Simon is. After working a long third shift, his bed is just screaming, comes, lay down, rest. But he's captured. He hears Jesus preaching and he can't turn away. There was something about what this guy was saying that enthralled him, that just drew him in, sucked him in. Well, as Jesus finishes his preaching and the crowd's noises and muffling sort of dissipates over the sea, Simon gets ready to take that boat and row it back into the dock. But as he's about to do that, Jesus stops him dead in his tracks and he says this, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, Simon can barely keep it together here. And Jesus, who do you think you are? You're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I've been fishing this lake since I was a boy. Don't you think I know where the right spots are and what the right time of day is for me to be fishing? Jesus, what you're telling me to do is to go out into the deepest part of the lake, all 165 feet of depth, where our nets can't even come close to reaching the fish that are down there, and you want me to go at the worst possible time to fish. Jesus, none of this makes sense. None of it. But as this inner dialogue is going on, Simon takes a deep breath and he remembers how indebted he is to Jesus for all the ways he's helped his family. And so he respectfully and humbly says, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. He's dead tired. He's had his fill with failure, but... Because he loves Jesus, he's going to go out there. And they throw the nets down, and something amazing happens, as you know. 
all of a sudden, fish are practically jumping into their nets. It gets so outrageous and so ridiculous that Simon is losing his voice, crying out for James and John to get out there with their boats. They fill up their boats. They're sinking, about to capsize. This is unbelievable. How could this be? None of this made sense. It went against all of his experiences, all of Simon's knowledge of science and of wisdom and of reason. But it was reality. He saw that man, that former carpenter, standing on the shore way far away. But even from that distance, he could see the grin from ear to ear that Jesus had. You know, just like my fifth grade self who was blown away by just that tiny transcendence of a skyscraper, Simon now walked into the transcendency of God. And it brings him to his knees. He stumbles out of the boat and he falls right at Jesus' knees and he says this, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Would Jesus listen to his prayer? From now on, What would happen to Simon's life? Here, Jesus had invaded the one thing he thought he knew the most, fishing, the one certainty he thought he had down, and completely turned it upside down. From now on, what would Simon do? How would his life change? You know, maybe as you and I have stood on the beach of Gennesaret Lake with Simon and Jesus this morning, you're uncovering a sense of familiarity that maybe you hadn't had before when you read this story. That feeling like you've been here before, like you know what's going on in Simon's mind. Now all of us here this morning, we've experienced the, tra- the transcendency of Jesus' words and his power. And maybe as you think about that, the more you want to approach him and yet when you do, you find yourself just awestruck by the holiness and the power and the nature of our God and you think just like Simon did, Lord, how can I be in your presence? Look at what I've done. Look at who I am. What could you possibly want to do with me, Lord? There can't be anything good for me. I know how I've wronged you and I've sinned against you. We fall on our knees before Jesus and think, how in the world would you want to have anything to do with somebody like me? And if you've been there, I know exactly how you feel. When we think about the sheer holiness of God's presence, to walk with our God, as much as we like to think it, it energizes us. And according to the new person, it does. But then we look who we are by nature. We're spiritual outcasts. We're the lowest of the low, the worst of the worst. And so when we are confronted with God's presence, we encounter his holiness. We tremble. We expect that that holiness will do nothing but destroy us, not welcome us into God's loving presence forever. You know, the last two weeks, we've talked about how Jesus has called us, set us apart for his agenda, for his mission. And yet we look at who we are and we think, Lord, I'm so unqualified to be your messenger. Lord, I'm not the guy, I'm not the woman that you want. Why, Lord, do you want to use me out of all people? Well, Simon has his face filled with tears of fear. He wipes those tears away, expecting to see nothing but fish and anything but Jesus. But what he sees is the exact opposite. He opens his eyes and all he can see is Jesus. And Jesus looks at him with a serious but gentle face. And he says something incredible. He says, 
Don't be afraid. Now, like the Garth Brooks song, no, thank God for unanswered prayers. Thank goodness that Jesus didn't listen to Peter's prayer to go away. And thank goodness he doesn't listen to our prayer to go away from us. Instead, Jesus says, don't be afraid. Simon, have no fear. I haven't come to destroy you, quite the opposite. I've come to tell you that your sins are forgiven. That I've removed your sins as far as the east is from the west. I haven't come to tell you that you're a sinner, although I will do that because I love you. That's not my end game. It's not to demean you, but to bring you into God's presence. That my holiness can cover over every last one of your sins. Simon, I've come not to tell you that you're repulsive or ugly or broken. No, I've come to tell you that I love you. That I'm here to restore you. That I'm here to bring you into God's presence. You can walk with God every single day of your life into eternity. Simon, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here. I've come to save you. Now, I hope that as I was talking, you were subconsciously inserting and hearing your own name because Jesus has said the exact same thing to you. Even when you and I say, Lord, you don't want anything to do with somebody like me, he stays right there. He stays in our lifeboat with us and he tells us again and again, I'm here for you. I'm here to show you what life is really all about. I'm here to draw you away from all the things that lead to darkness and to bring you into my light that you thought you'd never be able to approach, but through my word, that's exactly where you're going to be. Jesus calls us to himself. He restores us again. He throws those robes of righteousness over us, and he says, hey, you're going to walk with me. I'm going to be a part of everything you do, and yes, I have a calling and purpose for you. Just wait till I tell you what it's all about. So Simon, as he takes in this incredible gospel truth that Jesus is in that boat with him, that he is with him, he looks at Jesus, who has his eyes locked on Simon at this point, this fisherman who had become one of his closest friends, and Jesus says this, from now on, you will catch people. He says, Simon, you're done going for fish. That's too easy. I'm sending you to catch people now. You're going to catch people alive. You're going to find people who look like dead fish in the net of sin. And you're you're going to bring me to them. You're going to take them out of that captivity and bring them into the freedom that only I can give. Simon, you're going to get so wrapped up in this mission that nothing else will matter. Simon, follow me. And you know what Simon does next? The instant response? He leaves everything. And follows him. See, Simon had experienced that when Jesus enters the scene of life, joy and peace and hope and oneness with God follow. And he had seen how Jesus had provided for his family and for himself physically. Look at all the fish, spiritually, his word, emotionally. Look at the care and personal concern and compassion that Simon received from Jesus. And we receive that same personal care. He looks at that and nothing else mattered. He wanted to take up that calling and follow Jesus no matter what the cost. See, commissioning, it follows forgiveness. You and I, even though on our own, we're completely unqualified to go and be God's fishermen in this world. But that's exactly what God has called us to do. 
because we're qualified through Christ. See, even though all of us here in our own ways have had our fill of failure, I know our church family has done so many things to reach out to this community. It seems like it just doesn't seem to work. Remember our God. Remember that even though we're in these deep waters of highly educated and affluent people who are very unchurched and maybe don't see their need for it, remember what Jesus can do. All we're called to do is throw that net of the gospel out into those deep waters and let Jesus do the rest. See, this is the calling, the life plan he's placed before each of us. Even though we don't know the full specs of his ministry plan and the full scope of his vision, we know that as long as we're in this evangelism fishing business with Jesus, he's with us. He will give us the words to speak. He has qualified us through his blood. From now on, we will fish for people. We'll catch them alive and bring them into their God's waiting and saving arms. See, from now on, we're no longer going to minimize the transcendency of God and we're not going to run away from Jesus. From now on, we trust him. We rely on him. We put our faith in him. From now on, we leave all of our fears and regrets and mistakes and sins on the shore because Jesus has washed those away. Just like that tide moving in and out, those sins are never going to be put on your record again. They're gone forever, banished. From now on, we leave our fears and we run to Jesus. We jump into that boat with him and we know the adventure he has in store for us. From now on, we're not afraid to walk into the deep waters of people's lives and complex relationships and situations and challenges. We're not afraid. It's like you all just sing, even if it just means telling somebody that Jesus died for them. That's hope. Hope that is unlimited. Hope that's for everyone. From now on, we fish with Jesus. And you know it's going to be the fishing trip of a lifetime. Not because Simon says, but because Jesus has said so. Amen. And to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be all glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen.